any budding plugin developers out there. The commerce space, it's so vast. There's so many edge cases. There's so many like uses that people want to use their website to sell stuff on. There's always room for integrations or advanced functionality to grow. You're listening to the Commerce Minded Podcast, where we go behind the scenes to talk with the people who make e-commerce tick. Brought to you, as always, by Foster Commerce. I'm your host, Stephen Callender. And if you're listening around the time that we release this, then it is Christmas season. If you're listening on the 25th of December, hey, Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays to you all. I hope that right now you are enjoying a little break, um, especially if it's in between today and New Year. You deserve an amazing break because you made it through 2018. It's been a crazy year, both probably in the general public and in the world. I'm not sure what's going on in your neck of the woods, but there's a lot of crazy things happening in the world. Some possibly scary things, but then also some really cool, innovative stuff kind of things you're paying attention to. So here are my best moments of 2018. If I shed a little tear of joy, then um, you'll forgive me. So my best moments. All right. And this is in no particular order. We have moved into a new house. So on the 15th of December, we moved to a new house. Uh, We were actually first time homeowners. Uh, We've traveled a lot, kind of (laughs) set us back. We're thankful for those experiences. But anyways, we, uh, we bought a home and we are in it. Probably this morning, Christmas morning, we're around our new fireplace, wood burning fireplace, the real deal. Crazy excited about that. I grew up with one. That is one thing I'm grateful for this year is that that's my year in review, highlight buying a home. We had our second child. So we welcomed our, oh my goodness, she's the best baby ever. We were so spoiled with her. She wakes up from, she'll cry, you know, she wakes up, but then as soon as you look at her or see her, she knows you're there. She just smiles. So I think she's going to be an extrovert. She kind of seems to get energy from the fact people are there and she just lights up and it is just the best. So Chloe Rose came into our life and that has been a highlight of 2018. So foster commerce, we're doing really well. At this point, I don't know of our our figures, but I think it's probably one of our most profitable years um, that we've had. And we've introduced uh, new team members. So with Tyron and uh, Cape Town in South Africa, uh, who's on the team, phenomenal. If you haven't seen his work, you probably haven't because he kind of sticks to himself. He's (laughs) so glad to have him on the team. And then Jaggy as well, a late addition in 2018, but already adding so much to our team. So, So at least at this point, or a team of four full-timers, that all. It was uh, so good to be in Berlin. You know what? So I actually got to meet Michael, our lead developer, who we've been working together since 2013. We had not met in person. So he's in Spain. I had been in Argentina and then here in Columbus, Ohio. And we met for the first time in Berlin at that all. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So can I tell you all a story? So this is kind of crazy boss moment too. So when we booked Berlin and I was a speaker, so I got kind of a speaker hotel taken care of, but I contacted the hotel to upgrade and I thought I upgraded to a room that had two beds, but I got there and there weren't two beds. There was one bed, 
So I went down to the desk and I was like, do you have any more rooms? I'm like, no, we don't have any more rooms. And I'm like, so Michael's coming in that night. We're going to meet for the first time in person. I'm like, so we're sharing a bed, man. <laughs> and that had to happen. So I, anyways, I called my wife and I told her when I'm like, checking with her, I'm safe here. I told her, I was like, hey, this is what happening. We're going to share a bed. And she's like, no, you can't do that. You're his boss. That's not a thing you can do. She's had that experience where she had to share a hotel room with another employee and it was, didn't go well at all. So she was like, you can't do that. So anyways, we had to suck it up through that night. And then we changed and thankfully had were able to get a different room the next night. But yeah, don't do that. So if your boss don't share rooms, beds with your employees, thankfully, it's all good. So that was another highlight. And as I was saying, I hope you had some great highlights. It is um, getting colder where I am. As some of you, because I know we've got a lot of people in Australia that are listening. I know it's getting warmer for you. And especially, so our guest today with Josh Crawford, he is down in the Southern Hemisphere as well. I spent three years in the Southern Hemisphere. So I know what it's like around Christmas time to not see all the typical kind of Western Christmas stuff of, you know, snowflakes and what other things we have? <laughs> snowflakes, snowmen, you know, all that stuff. So anyways... It's fun. We kind of learn a little bit about what his Christmas traditions are. Yeah. So Josh, I wanted to talk with him. A lot of you probably know him if you are around the craft developer community. Josh is a phenomenal, phenomenal developer and he makes phenomenal plugins. If there's probably going to be somebody who writes some of their top, you know, five craft plugins, you know, or best things of craft in 2018, I imagine Josh and his company Verb are going to be on that list. So we talk about that, get to know him and Verb and some of the plugins we kind of duke it out a little bit too, because we both have some, we have a competing plugin coming out with commerce reporting. So it's been missing so much and, and uh, he's creating one, we're creating one. May the best one win. Just kidding. We're, we both uh, hope that um, our plugins are useful for different people. And we talk about that. So Josh is on the show. Great guy. And I hope you are in a place right now where you can just relax, enjoy, learn about Josh and his endeavors at Verb. Some really, really good stuff, especially if you're a plugin developer. I'm really excited about it, but I'll let you listen and uh, I'll see you on the other side. All right, here's Josh. We're pushing this live on Christmas, so Merry Christmas. Yeah, well, thanks. I hope you're uh, spending time with your family and friends. And This is what I'm doing right now, and obviously I'm envisioning this. Right now on Christmas Day, Christmas morning, well, we're in our new house, so we bought a new house. Oh, well, that, that's great. You know, the house is working great. It's great. We're moving into it. I'm actually sitting in a room full of boxes. Oh, that's always fun, yeah. Yeah, so that's what's happening right now. But on Christmas, when this is out, we've already done all that. We have a fireplace, and we're sitting in front of it, and we're opening gifts. And we're trying to keep our kid from jumping in the fire. <laughs> that sounds lovely. Uh, yeah, so what's going on on your Christmas? It's always uh, interesting to sort of picture the rest of the world in sort of winter during Christmas time, because here it's usually 30 degrees Celsius. I wouldn't have a clue what that is in Fahrenheit. Warm. It's warm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a barbecue or two, and uh, it's a lovely time. But, uh, yeah, usually I'd be uh, flying back with my wife to where we grew up in Tasmania, which is the little island down the bottom of Australia for anyone who doesn't know. Just be opening some presents with family and just having a relaxing summer. So you're normally in Tasmania for Christmas? Yeah, so both of our parents uh, and families are down there. So it's like a one-hour flight. It's pretty pretty easy. 
So you have a big family? No, no, just the parents and uh, an older sister and same for, for my wife. So it's a pretty contained. <laughs> yeah, you're a contained family. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You got things under control. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's good. When you, when you say oh, you have a barbecue, because obviously everywhere has barbecue. And what's the good barbecue for you? Like, what's that mean? That's a great question. I'm pretty easygoing with the old barbecues. I know that I guess the American barbecue might be a bit more, you know, you've got a whole deli worth of meats and smoking and it's all a bit next level awesome. The typical barbecue in Australia is probably just a, a sausage, a bit of onion, maybe just some chicken, maybe a few steaks. That's probably it. Just simple. Well, that's not so bad. That's pretty good. So I have experienced the whole like flipped hemisphere thing because I spent three years in Argentina. Mm. So Christmas during summer or approaching summer. And for Argentina, they do, they're not speaking English. They don't call it barbecue, but they have asado. And they grill out all the parts of the cow. But it's not necessarily like a Christmas thing because they do it pretty much every Sunday or anytime there's a football match, you know, soccer match. There's, there's, <laughs> they're doing the grill, you know, they're asado. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they've got a real similar thing in um, New Zealand, I think. It's, I think it's called a hungy or something like that, where it's, um, yeah, you just put a bunch of meats like in the ground and leave it there for like the whole day to sort of super slowly cook. And it's like a, it's like a year round thing, but it's like for celebrations and stuff. Do you get to New Zealand very often? I've actually never been to New Zealand. What? It's so close and I've just never been. It's definitely on my to-do list though. It's actually really probably similar to Tasmania in terms of like landscapes and stuff, but it's probably like times 10. Tasmania is nice. There's some really nice places to see and it's picturesque, but New Zealand's like from what I've heard and a bunch of my friends have been, it's just, it's just next level amazing. Have you been? I actually have, yeah. I've yeah, been yeah. to New Zealand. I've been to Australia too. When I was 16, I was on a glorified, it was a glorified vacation. It was like through this program called like people to people, student ambassadors, like through the US government type thing. But really what it was, is just a bunch of teenagers paying for a vacation with some chaperones. <laughs> so we did the whole Great Barrier Reef up in uh, Cairns and like, so would you be a person who went to, uh, if you would go to New Zealand, would you do all the adventure stuff and the outdoor things? What's more your style? I think I'd probably have to give it a go. I'd do a bit of bungee jumping. Skydiving's probably a little bit... I'd have to have a really long, hard think about it. But I, I reckon I'd give it a go. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What other extreme things can you do? I'm not amazing at skiing and I can snowboard a little bit, but... There's probably some blow-up ball you can get inside and roll down a hill on. <laughs> that is a lot of fun. Have you done it? Yeah, I have. What? How is that? You don't want to go down a slope too fast. That's all I have to say because just you end up having a pretty bad time. I'm a mild risk taker in that stuff. Like I'll do something kind of fun, but I'll I'll be the guy who definitely checks the slope and I'm like, eh, no, I'll wait for like three people to go before me to see how that was going. I just envision somebody kind of slipping out of there and like rolling, getting rolled on and like bent in half. I think the key is just not think about it too much. The longer you stand there thinking of all the possible ways that it could go wrong, you're just going to talk yourself out of it. So you just be like, yep, I'm going to do this. Let's do it. So that seems like maybe a decent strategy for life in general. Just don't think about it. You're in Melbourne, Melbourne, right? Yeah, Melbourne. Yeah. Okay. How did you end up there? What's your journey from Tasmania to there? Yeah, look, grew up in Tasmania, small town, I guess the second largest town in Launceston for 20 years or so. And um, me and my wife got married about seven years ago. She got offered a job in Melbourne and we thought, 
let's do it. Let's have a bit of an adventure and see where it takes us. You know, it's such a short distance away from Launceston and Melbourne's the second largest city in Australia. So it's kind of a bit of a destination for people in Tasmania so they can go over for a weekend and see the, the big city sort of thing. And so it, it really didn't feel like it was that far away. We came over and just thought we'd give it a go and that was seven years ago and we've just loved it since and it's a fun place to be. It's probably similar to maybe a little bit similar to Portland because I've actually been there. Really good food, wine, beer, spirits. Um, I sound like an alcoholic but good coffee, just a good sort of culture and well-rounded stuff. So, yeah, it's a great place to be. So you all just went there without like a job? You just went there to have something different? Did you have something lined up? or I actually did work for a, a company in Launceston and they were doing plenty of work over here in, in Melbourne at the time. I just sort of put it to them and be like, hey, this is what we're thinking. Do I need to quit or can we make it work? And they said, look, we'd love to keep you on. Let's, um, let's do the whole remote thing. And I think I did that for four years. This is with my previous company. So we just did a bit of remote work and so it worked out for a good couple of years. Were you doing development work for them? Like yeah, your... yeah. So it was actually a bit of a, it was probably my first sort of real commercial job actually. It was actually for a, an architectural firm that kind of did a bit of everything. And I started off there as a graphic designer and did that for a couple of years. And pretty much it all started with a particular project came in that one of uh, these electrical engineer guys were working on. It was an energy monitoring system for schools. This engineer had done it all in .NET. This is almost 10 years ago now. And, uh, you know, I was working, but it needed a lot of work and he was getting too busy and the team sort of put to me and be like, hey, you know, Josh, is this something you'd like to mess around with? I'm like, yes, let's do it. And, look, I'd I'd always messed around with websites and the web in general before that, but mostly just as a hobby or just for friends and family, you know, spinning up a, a WordPress site or cracking open front page or Adobe Go Live or maybe even Flash, a bit of Flash, you know, that was fun back then. It kind of just went from there. Like I, you know, started taking this website out of .NET and putting it into PHP, MySQL, Apache stack it was sort of re-released as version two and it was all it was all wonderful and then you know from then on it was like hey you've done this can you do this website and i was doing both graphic design web design and web development all in one as people often do in these sort of small businesses where they have to do everything it just sort of went from there and you know just got really more and more into the development side of things always had a really keen eye for design but only in the last four years or so, it sort of got to a point where I actually needed to stop and really think about, right, what am I going to do here? I can keep doing design and development together and be sort of okay at both or should the right decision be to pursue sort of one stream over the other and just you know really hone that really become sort of a master in that and it's kind of where I ended up I still do a bit of graphic design work still do a bit of web design work but I found that yeah diving right into the web development side of things all in has been really really fun. So was that a time like when you were shifting so if you're at that company and then and then when you shifted companies, was that around that decision point or? That's exactly right so that's when I moved from that previous company to escrow 
their team was, I think they were only about five or so people at the time and they were just starting to get a bit more traction about, you know, in their digital arm, I suppose. Again, more and more people saying they want websites, you know, they want web stuff, so, you know, web applications or apps or whatever, and they needed somebody that was, you know, more than a graphic designer. So, yeah, look, I thought long and hard about it. I thought, where do I want to go from here? Do I want to just become a developer and sort of master that? And that was the decision. So, so you've been with S Group ever since? Yeah, so I guess that's, goodness, I'm terrible with years, probably four years ago. <laughs> Are you the only one in development or were you the first one there? I was the first one. Like I said, we were a really small team back then. So, yeah, it was just a, a small team. Then we actually bought out another creative agency in, in Launceston as well. It was just a three-person team. And they brought in all their projects, all their clients. They were really good at what they did. The creative director was a designer, a little bit of a developer, sort of a front-end developer too, you know, new twig and all that sort of stuff. And with that, his CMS of choice was Expression Engine. Up until then, I'd pretty much exclusively used WordPress, which is, you know, it's not great. My very first website was in Joomla, I think. I used it once. This was like, again, 10 years ago. And I can remember at the time thinking, this is pretty rubbish. <laughs> Then I was looking at movable type or movable press or something like that, a bunch of other CMSs, and, and eventually at that time came to WordPress. The reason I picked it was not because it sort of made my life easier or it was good for me. It was that out of all the CMSs at the time, it was probably the best user experience for the client. I mean, it was simple, it was easy to use. It was rubbish for us as developers. After the initial launch, it kind of all just falls apart. But that's pretty much why I stuck with it. I thought, look, this is a CMS that is really built with the client in mind. It's a really good system to use. Of course, until you start to break away from the really simple blog style thing. And definitely at that point, started coming around to, right, this isn't so much a good pick for a business it's great for a personal site you know go nuts with it but if you want to start using it as a business cms we really need to review this because it's just not you know it's not working for us as developers it's just rubbish everything just continually seems to be broken or you know sites just get hacked so to me it was never the perfect solution for a cms it was always just good enough so, yeah, look, at that time, started getting into Expression Engine, had to learn it really quickly to, to support the bunch of clients that were on it. I can remember having a really hard time with Expression Engine, <laughs> just getting around the concept of the template functionality. And it came from WordPress where you can just write your templates in PHP. The, that's good and bad. You know, the amount of freedom that you had with your templates was amazing, but it also led to you know, security issues and and all sorts of stuff. So with Expression Engine, I, I didn't really get the feeling about it that it was the one at the time. I know probably a bunch of other people in the community, you know, really passionate about it. Pretty much the first week that this um, creative director came on, he said, oh, I've heard of this new thing called Craft. Why don't you sort of have a look at it and see what it's about? And I said, oh, yeah, let's have a look. Hopped on the website. Yeah, it looks lovely and, you know, it's a cool sort of experience. Yeah, maybe I'll sort of shelve that for another day to have a look at and then a couple of days later i think they announced 2.2 or something like that but it was when they introduced matrix 
Yeah, I think it was 2.5, right? Yeah, well, there you go. I was just watching a video of it and I thought, oh, this could be really interesting. So, you know, downloaded it. And to be honest, it's just gone from there. So tested out a few sites on craft, loved it, started building bigger sites, more sites. You know, it's just gone from there. So then you are most known, at least in the craft developer community, as being the name attached to Verb. So Verb is something that you started about a year ago. Untangled all the stuff. So you work with S Group, but you have Verb that has the craft plugins. Like, what's all that about? I was probably still am the lead developer at S Group. I've got a bunch of programmers, web developers working with S Group. And S Group are just your agency, your full agency stuff. You know, videographers, photographers, marketers, SEO experts, the whole shebang, really. I often worked on client projects and custom plugin, do all that. And I think the very first one we did was for a real estate website where they had a, an XML feed from their desktop sort of management software for their properties. And that would get pushed out to, uh, there's probably sort of two major websites here in Australia for real estate listings. It would be great because you'd be able to publish this feed and it would automatically go out to these two different websites. So they wanted to add the website into the mix there. So we needed to build a plugin that read that feed and then imported it into craft as entries. And that's pretty much where FeedMe started. And so a lot of these plugins have just started from either just my curiosity with, hey, how far can we push this with, say, Supertable? <laughs> Others have just come through from client projects. And look, initially we, we released them under, under S Group. We were sort of balancing client work with plugin work and feature requests and ongoing development. And that also filtered through to obviously our clients who were running these plugins as well. It's maybe a bit over a year ago. We decided that it'd be really cool to split that off. Um, we could sort of see that there's a bit of, there's a number of opportunities, even just outside of the craft sort of world, where we could really dedicate developer resources to some bigger projects and a number of other things. But we also wanted to grow the craft plugin marketplace, I suppose, and, and the number of plugins that we wanted to do. We've always had a bunch of ideas to be able to make cool stuff. So, yeah, the decision was made to start up something new, something fresh, which is where sort of Verb started. So Verb and S Group are related. They're two physically separate agencies. I might do some work for S Group and S Group guys might do some work for Verb. So I guess you'd call them sister companies maybe or not quite subsidiaries. So, so legally, are they one Are they one unit or is it legally they're separate? They're two legally separate entities. So, okay. you know. And are you working for both? Like officially, are you salaried for both or? I'm working for Verb. Okay. S Group contracts Verb out now. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. At least from the outside, it seems kind of noble of them to allow the release of one of just great talent and idea to create another company that then they're not getting kind of market share of, you know, instead they're having to pay into. <laughs> that's For sure. And yeah, look, that wasn't a decision that was made solely by myself. The escrow directors are great people and they could easily see what I was passionate about and what I wanted to sort of develop further. And, and they were like, yep, let's go in there and let's give it a red hot go and see where it takes us. So I'm trying to figure out also like what makes you successful. I'll be honest. I think you're one of the, the ecosystem around yours, all the verb plugins is some of the most cohesive and just well put together. It's like when you know you're going to get a verb plugin, 
you're getting the full package. You're going to get something that's extremely thought out. The documentation is going to be clean. I mean, goodness, it's even going to look beautiful. The feature set makes sense, the whole thing. So let me just pat your back a bit. That's lovely. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> and you see some sites out there, people that talk about, hey, our favorite craft plugins, and there's almost always going to be a verb plugin in there, even if they're like, oh, it's our top three, or it's our top five. There's always going to be a verb somewhere, whether it's feed me or I guess I'm trying to, one, just to say like, and I talked about this um, with Jason Mayo in the previous episode where we talked about, we mentioned you, I even said like, I think that you're kind of setting the gauntlet, you know, of like what it should be. For other people, I would say there's other people that are doing a really good job too. I mean, but in the sense of when I think about what we're doing, I look to you all as like, are we up to that standard? And one of how our documentation is and, and how clean our stuff is. And I'd say at this point, we're not. What's your mindset when going into like a plugin and like completing it through, especially for other people who maybe also look to you and kind of see what you're doing? Like, what are the things you're thinking through? You made me blush there, Stephen. There's no sort of single like thing that comes to mind, but it's just a, a collection of things. I think I think a design background's really helped. You know, I've always had a really keen eye for design and good design. And that also flows through to UX, the user experience. And UX is much more about, you know, just how a particular user might, you know, flow through a website. I guess their whole journey. So, you know, it's really about getting inside the end user's head and figuring out, right, what's a brand new user going to do when they hop on, say, the Verb website on a plugin page? What are they going to want to know? What's their journey going to be? And, of course, there are many, many journeys because some people want support, some people want to talk, some people just want to read. Um, So it's really just about getting into their heads and understanding that. Yeah, look, I like to make pretty things, really. It's kind of as simple as that. Something that's not pretty for pretty's sake, but just well put together, well polished, because everyone likes to use well polished stuff, not something that's rickety and falling apart, especially in the plugin world where, you know, websites and, you know, sometimes quite large organizations are relying on your plugins and craft itself. And I think lastly, the tone has really been set by Pixel and Tonic themselves. And I think even very early on when I started using Craft, I could really notice the care and the thought and the little details that were put in to Craft itself. That sort of really set the tone for me of like, right, I want to be able to match that. I want to be able to go to that next level and be like, this is maybe a little bit, make it seem like it's part of the core sort of Craft vibe, I suppose, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. The work that Pixel and Tonic do is pretty amazing. Yeah, for anyone out there, I think, yeah, look at what Craft itself does, look at what Pixel and Tonic do, and I guess try and emulate that. Yeah, it's true, because they're going to set that expectation of, one, what the whole experience should be, and anything less than that kind of gives you some trust issues. Even the GitHub repos and how you have that documented and set up and all that stuff. Like, There's Apple-to-Apple comparisons, I guess, that's easier now. So y'all have a lot of plugins that are also like commerce related, right? So from events and kind of being an extension of commerce to post the, right? So for your like commerce experience, is that something like you look forward to? Or are you getting a lot of direction in that way? Is like, is commerce becoming kind of a focus of the work that you're doing at Verb? And, and is that stuff like you're enjoying? Like, how's that world working for you? It's always been there. I'd say it's almost even with standard websites 
versus commerce. Commerce is always going to be there and it's such a prevalent thing. It's only going to get more and more as people want to, you know, spin up, say, craft commerce as opposed to Shopify. We really enjoy doing the commerce plugins. Probably about a year ago, we sort of looked at the landscape of plugins and be like, there really are not very many commerce plugins out there. So let's jump in this. Unfortunately, yeah, we've got a you know, hundred and one ideas for plugins and stuff out there to do. We've just been so limited with time this year and into the previous year. You and Fred Carlson, you know, we'll have a hundred and one uh, plugins before you know it. Especially for any any budding plugin developers out there, the commerce space—it's so vast. There's so many edge cases. There's so many like uses that people want to use their website to sell stuff on. There's always room for integrations or advanced functionality to grow. And I think Craft's doing really well in that it is really just focusing on the core functionality of being able to sell stuff online. And then you know, it's up to plugin developers to extend that. And it's definitely something that we're going to be focusing on more next year. So when you say you're focusing on more next year, like what do you have in mind? Yeah. What do we have? There's a bunch of connectors that we want to implement. So there's a, a zero connector, probably QuickBooks as well. I'm probably not even supposed to share, but I'm doing it anyway. Wait, is, is it your company? Is Verb your company? It is, it is. So you can share anything you want. I probably can, yeah. <laughs> but the other half of me is probably saying, no, don't tell them. Don't tell them all your secrets. Just don't put a date out there like I did. No, that's it. Yeah, yeah. January, that's going to come around quick. Yeah, it is. We are doing a plugin for commerce reports. You guys will probably beat us to it, but and it's it's probably every single customer site that we've built in Craft Commerce have said, "Hey, where's the reporting?" <laughs> and we've just been like, "Yeah." Oh, you're like, you didn't see it? Oh, wait, it's in there. You, wait, you don't have? You can't get it? Oh, I don't. Sorry. Yeah, a graph on the orders page just isn't enough for most clients. You know, there's. There's all sorts of use cases here. So we're going to build a plugin regardless. I know you guys are building your own one. We'll see who wins out here. But um, <laughs> we want to um, focus on, we've got a lot of inspiration from a few other uh, CMSs that we've worked with like Magento, um, Shopify. They do provide a really awesome user experience for shop owners. Yep. You hop on the Shopify dashboard and it says, you know, hey, you've um, customers are searching for this keyword, but there's no products for it. Consider making use of that or even just, you know, card abandonment stuff. There's so much stuff that can be used and that knowledge is really powerful for shop owners. And I think that's something that either one of our plugins, you know, will be would be amazing to have as part of the commerce toolkit. I'll be honest, I'm really looking forward to the friendly kind of seeing how how they are you know like how they go because i think there's more than enough room for even for somebody else to come in and have one you know it's going to be interesting to see part of it is going to be just our experiences of what our different clients have put in front of us to request and kind of imagine that's your part of your experience is what you're going to build out is partly the things that your clients have kind of mentioned but then also as you said your experience of the other platforms and what they kind of put out there um, and things you're kind of gravitating towards so yeah i think it's going to be a lot of fun actually yeah, yeah, we'll see how we go. Who knows? Yours might come out and be like, oh, yeah, you've done a great job and I'm just going to ditch what we've done. <laughs> I'm not a designer, so we'll see. Don't have to be. The other, the other sort of major-ish one was um, customer credits, basically just a way of, in Twig, 
to just be able to set a bunch of different events or a bunch of different, even just on pages that, or controller actions that when you do certain tasks on your site, you can accrue credits. Those credits are stored against your account. You can use them as discounts through checkout. So like a, an affiliate type thing, but not so directly to like an actual link URL, but just kind of a storing up of. Yeah. And it could be used as an affiliate thing. So, you know, that URL, all it needs is just a twig tag to be like, Hey, you know, register X amount on this user or the owner of that thing. And, um, store it and then use it again it's another common ish request from a few clients there was the wish list plugin but we released that yeah you got that one out there so how many people are on your verb team well funny story it is just me at the moment we start with four people and you're just a really mean boss and so they're like they gave you the finger they just lasted a week and they just had to leave no they've left over the course of a year and a half really uh, for a variety of different reasons you know one guy decided to move back to Germany and uh, just because he was missing his family. And, you know, he might, might be still doing remote work for some time time, but life's sort of taken over for the other guys. So at Verb, our main focus is craft plugins at the moment. We do have a lot of other projects going on with um, client-based stuff with web apps and mobile apps. And we've got a few of our own projects, SaaS platform ideas and a bunch of cool stuff really. So how do you make time for all this? If you have, if you have some client work, if you have the plugin work and the support with that and the new ideas you're doing and then all these other ideas, like, so what's your day look like? Walk me through. <laughs> it's probably not something I'd recommend. <laughs> for any, it's pretty busy. So it's been, you know, 7 a.m. till midnight most days. Josh. And Josh. Uh, I know, I know. Hold on. No, I know, no, I, no, you need this moment. You need this moment. Hey, you're doing great work. You don't need to work from seven to midnight for us. <laughs> no, no, no. I was recommended a uh, a book by Bob Oldenhampton at uh, .org, and uh, he recommended the uh, rework book by the Basecamp guys. And I actually just got my hands on their latest book. Work doesn't have to be crazy. So certainly, certainly not trying to shout out to them, but I kind of am. They're, they're they're really good books, and I'm I'm reading those at the moment to just be like right probably need to do something about this. So my work days are pretty intense. It's certainly not sustainable and I wouldn't recommend it. You don't need to throw your life away to work is work, really. It's probably just because we've been juggling too many things. From a verb point of view, we do a fair amount of custom development for clients. You know, somebody comes to us with a plugin request. They say, hey, can you build this feature into this plugin? We go, right, sure. And that's actually had a bit of a detriment effect to the amount of plugins and the amount of, I guess, fun stuff that we've been able to do because to us, building plugins are pretty fun. And I think we're certainly going to pare that back next year and just focus on the stuff that we want to do, the projects that we've got lined up, even just for ourselves, for as us as the clients, and just get a bit more of a balance. Are you kind of like you say yes to too many things? Oh, yeah, totally. So if I were to say, hey, man, I've got this project. It's really cool. Do you want to build it? Like your inclination is probably like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've, I've already started it. <laughs> I've got a repository set up and, uh, you know, I'm just giving you access now. Oh, my goodness, man. I have that problem, too. You've worked with agencies. So because I had this theory and now I'm wondering if it's wrong, if it's deeper set than. So my, my theory was just like 
I had a problem saying yes because I was kind of freelancing for so long. And freelancing, you just never know when things are going to dry out or, you know, you don't really have a marketing strategy as a freelancer. It's just kind of like word of mouth or wherever you are and kind of trying to get leads and stuff. And so for me, for a long time, it was just like you say yes to pretty much everything, anybody who's willing to like pay the rate that you're saying. And so obviously over the years, rates gone up and stuff, but I've still had this mentality of you just say yes to everything. And I've heard other people that have successful agencies where like their business development people will say, well, that's what you do. You say yes to everything and you figure it out. You know, it adds a level of stress and it adds a level of stress to like your team to also for us, like we've had a packed schedules at time. And then all of a sudden two like awesome looking projects come in. I'm like, how do you say no to those? It just seemed like a lot of fun. So you just figure it out. I was assuming that it just kind of came from the freelance days of like feast or famine. You know, you got to say yes, because feast when you can, but you didn't come from that world. You came from having pretty steady agency jobs. So now I'm wondering if it's uh, if it's another issue. Yeah, I did do freelancing actually while I was still at these agency sites. And- Wait, so that's your problem. You had a full-time job and you were doing stuff. I was studying at university at the time. I did a Bachelor of Computing for four years and pretty much every waking moment that I wasn't at university and sometimes I should have been at university, I was working at my day job. I think it's much more of a personality thing more than freelancing or, or work. Well, we both need other hobbies is what it sounds like. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we should go bungee jumping or skydiving. That's just a self-control thing, you know, and that's something that I'm certainly personally working on, just not being so ridiculously under the pump all the time, switched on. And at the end of the day, I I really enjoy helping people. I enjoy solving problems and I want to be that guy that helps people out, even not so much just end users for plug-in stuff, but even just clients. Like we'll always take on a job that we believe in as a client and you know we do really actually do care about you know their site and especially for commerce you know their sales and are they actually going to make some sales so there there is a real earnest care factor going on there maybe potentially too much so but i was going to ask so like do you feel like sometimes your client relationships kind of get off out of whack where you're kind of taking on too much or you have scope creep because you're then saying yes to that and oh definitely even to be extreme, like abusive clients, where it's kind of like you kind of just take it on the chin? Like, is that? I'd say that's not out of the question. I think being yes people about it, yeah, you do have to be careful not to be taken advantage of because there are people out there that certainly will and we certainly have. It's a pretty valid point. It's a hard lesson, man. It's a hard lesson. Yeah, it is. A lot of it is actually to do with the time zone thing being the unlucky ones here in Australia. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of the time it's the poor tickets start creeping in at about 10 p.m. our time. They'll run throughout the night and then you hop on. So, I mean, that that's good and bad, but it's good because you wake up in the morning, you've got a bunch of support tickets to work through in peace and quiet for the day. But it is also difficult when you do need a bit more hands-on sort of support and be like, hey, can we fire a bit of back and forth on Slack? And, you know, you've, you've got to make allowances for that and... Are you potentially hiring or like bringing on other people to help you to replace some of the people that have left? Yeah, it's it's something we've been thinking about for this half of the year, actually. I would say not immediately, but I would also say potentially. <laughs> You're so mysterious. <laughs> it's not out of the question. Is that so? I'm just trying to imagine when you met your wife. So I don't know the story of how you met your wife, but I imagine like, 
maybe she asked you like, oh, so did you want to go on the second date? And you're like, well, it's not out of the question. <laughs> it's a possibility. It's something I need to think about. No, I'm, I'm normally not that indecisive. I think we will be looking at some people. It's well, what goes in that decision. So, what are you thinking through? Are you do you have the money for it? Is it like you want the right person because you've had bad experiences? The group of um, people that we had were pretty awesome. We were pretty chuffed with it. It's just you know circumstances just led people to do their own life choices, which you know led them away from us, which is unfortunate. I suppose at the end of the day, it is probably a little bit about money. People don't usually like to say that, but. You know, if we wanted somebody to help out with our craft plugins, we've got to make sure that the revenue that we're getting from our craft plugins can support that. And at the moment, it honestly cannot. It's certainly enough to support one person, but, you know, a team of a handful of people, probably not. So that's why we've certainly got other projects and, you know, I've mentioned things like SaaS platforms for you know, ongoing revenue to, to be able to help that out. Because, yeah, we'd love to grow the team and we'd love to see where that sort of takes us again and go from there. Because So it sounds like your vision for Verb is to not really even have client projects. It's to really just become where you own your own products that you're proud of. So where you're running your own plugins or your SaaS product that you're talking about. And that basically becomes what Verb is. It's not client work directly. It's your own software, your own products. Is that really what your vision is? That's exactly what the vision is. So, and we've fallen into the trap this year of, um, you know, just saying yes, 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 and pandering to things. And at the end of the day, you know, the people that we've worked with have been great. Like, it's not been a bad experience, and we've certainly been able to get some cash in. But in terms of, I guess, the overall vision, that's really it to not have your typical end client where, you know, we're the client for our own projects and our stuff, and we're building cool things that we sort of believe in. I'll be honest. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was interested in building Commerce Insights was the idea of at least having something that's our own. You know, I have no idea what the projections of like finances on that will be, especially once uh, we have competition from a known group. But that idea of just having something that like, you know what, we can do with this what we want. I think we do great work for other people, but it's not something that we can always put on our trophy shelf or like something we can kind of like polish and always do. We don't always have the budget to work on the things you want to work on to like fix things up or any of that. And so like, yeah, there's kind of the shift of like, there's something rewarding about being able to control your own and set that. And I think part of it comes from me, at least from, I read the Basecamp people quite a bit too. So I haven't read any of their other books, just the recent one. It doesn't have to be crazy at work, but I've read pretty much all their blogs and all that stuff. And and just the idea of the way they talk about, like it's their product and how they can control their day. <laughs> it's all internal other than when something breaks and like they don't have feature requests that they have to respond to. And, you know, they have support. There's something very attractive to that. So I hope it works out for you. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll... um It'll be great. And I guess from some point of view, it seems like a a slightly selfish decision where, you know, we're just focusing on us and we're focusing on what we want to do and what we say and, you know, whatever. But I think definitely in, in my case, and it's probably almost a little bit of an industry thing, you kind of have to be like that a little bit, especially for our, for my own sanity and just for, you know, yeah, my, my own enjoyment in what I do. And yeah, I mean, sustainability is a huge thing, you know, learning how to uh, one is is checking your hours, you know, making sure like, you know, you're not overdoing it to be able to enjoy the work for long term and to kind of stay at the top of your game throughout life coming in. And I, honestly, the big change for me was when we had kids, 
you know, I had our kid, he's like almost five now. So that's when I started having a hard stop to my day and like, you know, not working on the weekends and, and things like that. But before having kids, it was like kind of a free for all, you know, but there's these other, these other demands on your life that if you're going to sustain the work, you've got to start working smartly in different ways. So I don't think it's selfish at all. Like, I think it's, it's still a way of serving people. I mean, if you're not creating a product that people want, then you're not going to do well. Obviously, there's marketing and, and other stuff that goes into successful businesses. But at the end of the day, it's a quality product that has enough of a, of a market need. Cool. Well, so I had a question about events. So the specific plugin. What was the beginning of that? Because I guess I'm interested in a selfish way myself because we've had inquiries about it. When you created like the event stuff, was that like a client that you had one time that was kind of building it or was it one of those gaps that you felt in the commerce world? That one we actually built for a client. There is an arts festival that runs on just one weekend a year uh, in Launceston. They used a an off-the-shelf product called Ticketech. And look, you know, I did the job, but but it was just wasn't customizable enough for them. So they came to us and said, hey, you know, because we built their website, they said, hey, we want to be able to you know, sell our tickets ourselves. We want a whole custom process to it. We've got some really unique needs for all of our events we do. So like I said, it's an arts festival. So, you know, one of them, one of the events is you can go around with a group of people to wander around the town blindfolded. And you have to just find everything by touching. So, you know, there's certain waivers that you might need to sign for that or there's a bike ride art tour sort of thing where, you know, you need helmets and then you need different sizes. And, you know, you want to be able to, the customer to input all that information when they buy their tickets. So it was just getting a bit unwieldy to use, you know, ticket tech for that. So we thought, can we build something? And I think that was in the, goodness, I think that was even when it was still market commerce. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so we, we built a custom plugin uh, for market commerce and, you know, it worked great and the customers could purchase multiple tickets, multiple tickets for other people. You could add options and all sorts of crazy stuff to it. Capacity as well. So, you know, you'd have some events would have 100 people max. Tickets could be sold. Some would have 80 adult tickets could be sold, but only 20 child tickets could be sold. So there's certainly some complexity there. And then, you know, at the very end of the process, it would produce a, a PDF ticket with a little QR code on it that they'd be able to actually scan at the door of these events to be able to, you know, check them in and they wouldn't be able to reuse the tickets. That's actually pretty much a summary of the events plugin for anyone out there wanting to buy it. And you should. You should go out and buy it right now. You should. You should. And, and that was, that was yeah, like I said, built for market. It was pretty rough, pretty like tailored to their thing. I guess a year or two ago, we we spun it out into its own proper generic style sort of plugin. So I'm not trying to cross problems with this, but so I brought this up last episode with Jason Mayo as well. And I'm wondering, I was curious on your, what's your setup of when you make a plugin for a customer, a client is paying you for their site and a part of that site becomes a plugin that you create and the sense of ownership of that work then taking a plugin that came out of the needs of their site and then making a commercial plugin. Uh, how do you address that? Or has it not even been an issue? Have your clients kind of given you free reign with that? Or I guess it comes down to your company's policy about IP, you know, who owns the code. And each company will do it differently. Some say, you know, the code ownership is solely the 
clients or, you know, we maintain ownership of it. It kind of depends. I actually, off the top of my head, don't know which one we do. But in most instances, it's also just to be honest, the polite thing to do to just mention it to the client and be like, hey, you know, this is what we're thinking of doing. Do you see any problems with this? Some clients will come back to you and be like, oh, well, you know, we paid for this and, you know, we deserve some money for it and, you know, pay up. Others will be perfectly fine. We've honestly never really had any issues with our clients that want to do it. And then in the other instance, we've also pitched for jobs where we've said, look, all this stuff can be done with craft. We'll need to build a plugin for, you know, this integration, this custom functionality, whatever, whatever. And, you know, some clients uh, have come to us and said, well, can we look at lowering the price of this based on we believe that you guys would want to sell this as a commercial plugin. You know, is that an option for you guys? Will you provide us a discount for that based on, you know, that? And so there's certainly lots of options there, but I'd say in pretty much all cases, just a level of honesty would be good. And I won't rehash it for anybody, if uh, anybody who kind of keeps listening, but just kind of one of the models that, that I think that I'm going to do is, is similar to kind of what your one of the ones you brought up, which is the idea of, the client still pays for it where they're basically kind of the initial investor because it needs to be done for their site and they kind of have to pay for that initial work, whether we do anything with it or not. But then if we do go public with it, that we can own it, we go public with it and we can sell it. And then they get a portion, basically dividends in some ways, you know, revenue share on it until they're paid back on that investment. I don't know. I'm kind of just floating that out there. It's like one client has accepted it. We'll see how it goes. I'm not sure if it's an attractive model or not. I'd love to see uh, people... It's an interesting question. I suppose it's almost framed a little way in that, take the events plugin, for example, we probably wouldn't have built that from scratch just because, just for fun, because it is complex. We only built that because this client came to us and said, hey, we need this. Can you do it? And we said, yep, let's give it a go. And it was always in the back of our minds that, you know, if we're building something this big and this complex, you know, we might as well unsell it. But yeah, you've got your initial investment there actually to build it something purpose-built. And at the end of the day, it is just, it is for that client. The client needs that. It's not just a, hey, here's some money, maybe just build this plugin in five years and we'll use it. I guess from that, we've now taken ownership of that plugin. We, at our own cost, keep it updated, add new features. And at the end of the day, that original client gets all that for free, really. I guess it's some sort of like a support agreement in some ways. Interesting. Well, we'll see how that all pans out. See what other people do if anything comes up with it. I imagine that something that's been going on in other places too. Like I just, we've not done commercial plugins before, so not sure what that's been. So it's kind of interesting to think through. But Josh, it's been great chatting. Uh, It's been great getting to know you. And so I hope that your Christmas is, you're going to be in Tasmania this year. You're going down this year. I'm there right now. As people are listening to this, you're there right now. I'm there having a a snag on the barbecue. A snag? A snag. What's a snag? That's just a sausage. I was actually afraid today I might drop too many Australian colloquialisms. <laughs> it's really funny that with Luke being down, you know, in Australia, obviously he's isolated on the west side. But then you got Jeremy, the fact that I've spoken with, you know, one of your clients, BJ. I feel like we're being very well represented, which is great. You are well represented. Yeah. I'll be honest. Somebody that I know 
that we've hired and work with, Katie Fritz, who spoke at Dot All. Yeah, yeah. We're working with her on a project too. She's helping us out and doing great work on content strategy. So anybody who needs content strategy work, Katie Fritz, phenomenal. Anyway, she called me out because she was listening and she says, it's all men. <laughs> you got a lot of Aussies and it's all men. And I was like, oh, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> she put a call out on Twitter to ask for like any e-commerce women. So now I have to meet that, which I want to I'm happily, but it's one of those things. It just, yeah, start to open your eyes and you realize you, you just kind of sit in this default mode. So I'm going to no longer interview people like you. No, it's not true, but I'm going to do a better job of, of being more inclusive. No more Australians. No more Australians. Yeah. 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 So y'all are done for a while. <laughs> I will also just say, just to, to finish it off with commerce, I just remembered one of the things that I will try and do next year is either a blog series or some sort of like way to have, I guess, a, a centralized sort of knowledge base or, or something like that for commerce best practices. And that's sort of spreading into the UX side of things as well. So I really enjoyed your talk at Dot All. And for anyone who hasn't seen the video, go watch it now. Stephen Callender's talk at uh, Dot All about checkout optimization. Just a bit of a free promotion there, you know. <laughs> you can learn about how we forgot to turn on a client's um, payment gateway to live mode for a month. I'm pretty sure that's happened to me before. So, you know, holy lying. crap, man. Talk about, I thought I was going to get sued. Oh, holy crap. Yeah, I think it's maybe a bit more common than everyone cares to admit. <laughs> Stuff like that. Like, I find that really interesting. Like, again, it comes from that care of the end client. I really want to make so that their shops and their businesses succeed. And it really excites me when you look at all the quantifiable data that you share with stats and stuff. It's super interesting because clients will love that um, and be like, hey, these are the decisions we want to do. They're not just for the sake of it. These are researches that have been done into these subjects and this is why we need to do it. And, you know, you can that can often justify extra work um, if you need to do it. It's not trying to be annoying to get more money out of your clients. But at the end of the day, you need something that works exceptionally well and, you know, is a success for your end users and your end customers to be able to purchase stuff online. So, yeah, so that's something I've been thinking about for a little while, specifically commerce, not necessarily craft commerce, but I reckon there will certainly be a focus on that. And who knows, I might even uh, hit you up, Stephen, and see if we can uh, we can do something together. But I think that would be a really cool resource to have for the craft commerce community, but also just for the commerce community at large. There's so many things out there that are people making noise and is there really a central place for best practices and stuff? And I think I think it's sort of come out of the inspiration of refactoring UE sites. So it's all about the design side of things, but it's a really cool concept. And I think something similar like that for commerce would be really cool. Yeah, I agree. Because I mean, the challenge that we have with craft commerce and the whole craft commerce ecosystem is the fact that you, you're building from a clean slate. And so... People who don't know commerce, that an agency that gets happens to get a commerce site and are excited about it and are going to care about it and do the best they can, but they don't know commerce and they don't know the best practices of like what makes an effective checkout flow or what things to consider. So it just works, right? So there's something that, well, you can buy something, but is it the best? Because in e-commerce, especially for businesses that really depend on it, where it's like that's their business, those optimizations matter possibly millions of dollars if not at least thousands, tens of thousands, you know? So 
paying attention to that stuff really matters. And the fact that we don't have a template, you know, kind of like Shopify has a checkout template you just don't mess with. You just mess with everything else. Even big commerce, big commerce now has, you know, a little bit more flexibility, which will be very fascinating to see how their, their new checkout, they can allow it to more custom, like to be, people are actually building worse systems than the default big commerce one. But that's the problem. When you go custom, you can build it worse. It's not always building it better. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, exactly. As you say, like it, it is a no holds barred sort of thing where you can just do whatever checkout process you like. But there is there is method to madness on, you know, when you look at Shopify's restricted checkout process, designers out there might kick up a fuss and say, oh, you know, we can't design it. It's, it's going to be different from the rest of the site. And yes, that's true. And many of our clients have been like, oh, can we change the checkout process? And, you know, we can't. But there's reason for that. And when you look into the decisions that, say, Shopify and I'm sure a few other commerce platforms out there have made, yeah, there is method to their madness and there's there's reasons for pretty much everything that they've done. So I think the craft commerce side of things can really benefit from from that knowledge. Well, let's give it to them. Let's do it. All right. Well, on that note, man, Merry Christmas. Have a... a- Man, I was trying to pull that one off right. Have a holly jolly. I was my phrase this year was not gonna be Merry Christmas. It was gonna be like have a holly jolly Merry Christmas. Our holly jolly Christmas. <laughs> I can't even say it right, so I'm practicing it here. Yeah, you too, Stephen. And um yeah, thanks for the chat and hope you're having a lovely Christmas and staying warm in your new house. Wait, I gotta go get my kid, he's jumping in the fire. <laughs> oh yeah, get him quick. And happy new year. And we'll definitely see you in the new year. We're looking forward to seeing all the stuff that you put forward and uh, with verb and keep your sanity, get your sleep and um, we'll keep the good work up. Perfect. So thanks for listening, everyone. As always, I invite you to check out um, our show online, fostercommerce.com slash podcast or on iTunes. If you like us, go and leave us a rating review. None of you have taken us up on that yet, which is fine. I still like you. But I'll like you more if you uh, give us a positive review. Some of you have have reached out to me personally and shared some things, and I really appreciate that. So if anybody wants to share more privately, please do so. Um, I'm happy to hear the things that are going on. Always looking forward to getting our show to be better. And speaking of being better, I think that we're going to have an amazing year in 2019 with our shows. We've got some really good interviews lined up and some just interesting people and interesting companies. Uh, So it's going to start off with one of our our clients, causebox.com, talking to one of the co-founders, Brett McCollum, and going to learn all about Brett and Causebox and how things are going. They're doing really well. And so we're just going to talk to him about that. They're on craft. We're going to have Noah uh, from One Design, the agency that built out crafts websites. Uh, we're going to have Noah and we're going to talk about Field Notes. So one of the more popular brands on using craft commerce. We've got some other great people coming up. So you want to definitely stay connected. Go to fostercommerce.com slash podcast. Subscribe on the email list. And that email list, you get some extra bonus content every once in a while. So and lots of little cool stats. Not lots. Some. Just a couple cool stats, really. So if you want to know what those couple cool stats are, go and sign up for the email don't worry, I only sell your stuff to a couple of people, so it's not gonna be not gonna be a lot. Alright, we'll end on that bad joke right there and we'll let you have a wonderful holiday if you're listening this time. If you are binging later and it's now February, thanks for joining and I hope you stick around. Alright, take care everyone. Mm-hmm.